Hello, I am Grayson Brulte, and welcome to a special recap episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Today, I'm joined by Justin Falls, Strategic Communications Manager, SAE International, to take a look at the pivotal conversations throughout the year. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. During this first recap episode, we explore the factors that determine success for an innovative company, such as the importance of solving real-world challenges, the power of partnerships to develop seamless solutions, and how investing in autonomous technology today will impact the bottom line tomorrow. And away we go. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Justin. Thank you. It's uh, nice to be here from listening in from afar, or not from afar, I guess, but listening in all the time and uh, now actually being part of this whole process. Thank you for your your leadership and pushing this thing through an incredibly complex organization and making this a reality because without your help and and Marcy Hyman's help, this wouldn't have been possible. So a huge thank you for that. And before we get into this conversation, we start to discuss the year in review. I'd love to ask you, if you don't mind, could you please kindly share the story of how SAE developed the podcast and how we got to where we are today? Yeah, so so we looked at new ways of, of reaching not only our, our traditional audience, obviously SAE has been around for, for 115 years and uh, we're looking at ways to reach that audience, um, but we're also looking at there's a lot of new people involved in the mobility space. Uh, you're looking at software engineers, uh, hardware engineers, people that you wouldn't traditionally expect to be a part of the uh, mobility space in the automotive or aerospace industry. And most people listen to podcasts now. And that was one of the ways we really wanted to look at really creating the storytelling aspect as, as you know, we've been, we've been trying to do even more by getting the stories out there of what people are, what their, what their life stories are, how they got to where they are today and how they are developing those solutions uh, that are impacting today and tomorrow, hence the name SAE Tomorrow Today. Going back 115 years, stories are rich in SAE's blood and in its heritage with early members like Henry Ford, Orville Wright, and Amelia Earhart. The three of those incredible pioneers knew how to tell stories. They knew how to take their innovations and their breakthroughs to tell a story and to build a legacy. And SAE's done an incredible job as an organization of building the legacies of the industry. And as we bring in new individuals into the into the SAE family, uh, such as Gaddock AI that's doing the middle mile autonomous delivery, what are your thoughts when the more traditional end of the SAE audience hears this incredible story of this company that's raising money, doing autonomous delivery for companies such as Walmart and Lobas in Canada? I think as an organization, SAE has always really looked ahead. We're looking at the future from the first uh, you know iteration of SAE when we were looking at beyond the horse and buggy. We're looking at the automobile um you know we look to take to the skies in the in the you know the 1920s and and i think that's always been something that members of sae have have looked to uh is is looking at what's next and uh you know as these new technologies come to the market if everyone's innovating from you know the the biggest giant to the smallest single person there's there's only positives that can come out of that so i really hope that that these stories spark innovation for everyone who's who's involved in this in this space. And I'm happy that you said that looking to the futures, Jeff Bezos is working on a book right now, The Writings of Jeff Bezos. And one of the things in the excerpt that came out this week was they asked him, well, well sir, are you managing for quarter to quarter every three months? And he said, no, I'm managing for three years out. When this quarter hit, that was three years ago. And that's a story that we're trying to 
uh, tell here on the podcast and doing a really great job on it. And let's dive into Gaddick here for a second. Uh, Justin, will you please play a clip of the importance of the middle mile and the partnership with Walmart? And I'd like to discuss that with you, Justin. As of today, you've completed over 15,000 autonomous middle mile deliveries. That's right. Are all these deliveries generating revenue? They are, yes. So every deployment that we do at Gatek is revenue generating. So yeah, so these and, and these are long-term deployments. This is interesting. So if you look at the rest of the, the autonomous industry, nobody's generating revenue. You focus on this little niche called the middle mile and you're generating revenue. So is your, are, do you, did you have to put like a cockpit door to stop people from running down your door from investors saying, okay, here's an autonomous company that's actually generating revenue and has a path to profitability? Well, yes. You know, lately we have seen a huge interest from the customer side, from investors as well. Just from a fundraising standpoint, we have a bit of a war chest going into the COVID situation. At Gatek, we have plans to accelerate our deployment, add more vehicles, expand our operations in the coming months. And yes, you know, our customers, they want us to deploy more vehicles and at more sites as well. But, you know, we have to strike the balance. So we have to be careful about what kind of partners, what kind of customers that we onboard. So at Gatek, we, we're not signing everyone. We are very mindful about whom do we partner up with. And yes, you know, we have turned down partnerships with, let's say, you know, Fortune 500 companies, big customers. But we weren't very excited about that. And we felt that our solution did not fit perfectly into their operations into the supply chain. So yes, and just going back to from uh, investor interest from the customer interest, we have been fortunate from day one, all the deployments that we were doing were revenue generating. And it speaks to the fact that this kind of a solution is really needed in the market. And that was one of the ways, you know, charging a good fee for these deployments. That was one of the ways we were able to select, okay, which partner was really serious about this and which partner really need the solution. So Gaham brings up an incredible point needed in the market. And there's this old saying, everything in life is timing. Two years ago, nobody would have predicted the rise of COVID, the absolute explosion of e-commerce that came with that. And here, here's uh, Gattic AI sitting in the middle. Okay, we've got to run on toilet paper. We got to run on Clorox wipes. And this company is, is generating revenue. Justin, from your perspective, what is the the thoughts and the feelings from the more traditional side of the automotive industry and the mobility industry to looking at this company that's generating revenue. It's not this company that says, hey, we're gonna go out and raise a billion dollars and figure out how to make a business model later. It says, okay, we're gonna build a we're gonna build a service and we're gonna make money with very similar to what GM and Ford. They build a car, they make the profit margin, they sell it. Thoughts? I think what's so interesting about and I, I remember when this that that this particular episode aired, my first thought was obviously it's a unfortunate situation going on right now, but the, their solution, which would have ultimately been a, a profitable solution, I believe, was uh, it just the timing was perfect for them with, with everything going on, um, that they were able to really make a strong impact probably much earlier than anticipated. But you look at the way that Gaddick was uh, creating this solution, and they really looked at, hey, there's a need for this as the world changes, as the the world of logistics changes, we have that there's going to be this area that we can play in and that's their middle mile or the middle mile. And they very much firmly started owning that space. And, and I think it's just really, really interesting to see that they knew where they wanted to go, knew the solution was going to work, the, or excuse me, develop the solution that they knew would work in that, in that space. And, and they've really made a really, really solid impact and people should take notice of that. It was brilliant because everything is um, 
a friend of mine calls robo taxis the Shangri-La. Everybody wants to run robo taxis in a dense urban environment. It's a very complex driving environment. And here's Gaddock. They say, okay, well, it's a, it's a fixed route. We're going to go from distribution center to store. It's a fixed route. And then there's money there. And they focus there, which is interesting. But to me, the, mo- the more most interesting thing in this is Walmart. Gaddock comes out of stealth. They announce a partnership with Walmart. Is Walmart one of the most innovative big box retailers in the world today? They're doing drone deliveries. They're partnering uh, with Gaddock on this. It seems that they're two, three, four steps ahead of their other competition. I think it's interesting. Walmart is absolutely, I would almost say, an underappreciated innovator. They are doing these things, as you're saying, you know, they're, they're steps ahead of their, their competitors. But I think there's still a, a perception that, okay, they're, they're Walmart. They're what you, your mom and pops, you know, what your mom and dad would think of as Walmart. I should say not mom and pops, mom, what your mom and dad would think of as Walmart. But they really are. They're doing such really innovative things that you would never expect from the Walmart brand. And I don't know if they're necessarily out there in the general public. I think I think the people that know about these innovations know about them and they are really respecting that brand. But I would say the average Joe consumer doesn't necessarily see that and, and, and equate that with the Walmart brand. But maybe they don't need to. And maybe that's why it's not as general consumer facing as, as it you would think it would be. That's the brilliance of Walmart. They're innovating on the supply chain to lower the cost of goods in the store without disrupting you. So if you go to the Walmart, I go to the Walmart, or a friend of ours goes to the Walmart, you're going to get those everyday low prices. You're not going to run out of toilet paper and Clorox because they properly supplied the supply chain. And they're solving actual real-world problems, which brings us to another great podcast we had this year. We had Jason Ilian, uh, Managing Director of Coke Disruptive Technologies, talking about investing to solve real-world pl- problems. Uh, please roll that clip. And when you expand in, into new capabilities, what factors determine if you're going to invest in that company? Yeah, so th- there's a number of factors, right? And when we look at a company, we're looking for a handful of things with a company, right? We're looking at is is this company highly disruptive? So is it disruptive versus the market alternatives? What out, What else is out there that is vying for this space or trying to do it? Or is this a completely new space, right? So when you start talking about your days of Friendster and MySpace, at the time, if somebody said, hey, do you need more friends or a way to connect with your friends? The answer was like, no, like I got friends. What do you mean? I need new friends. But what we hadn't fully embraced is what does it mean to have a social graph and to connect with them more continuously versus an email, right? Or meeting in person. And so that's a brand new space. So we have to understand, you know, is something, you know, highly, highly disruptive. So is it highly disruptive? Does it have high potential, right? Is there a mutual benefit, right? So for us to invest in a company, we we try to say beyond the capital, what else can we do to help them accelerate their growth? There's a lot of capital out there right now. There's a lot of places that can deploy money into an investment. And I just think of one of the companies that I met with. When I met with the CEO originally, they had more than enough money around the table to do the deal that they had in hand. And when I sat down, I just said to the CEO, I said, assuming you have the capital, what else do you need? And he laid out four or five strategic things that would help his company grow. And then we discussed those four or five things and how Coke could add more benefit to them. And through that discussion, you know, he asked, hey, would, would you guys like to be participate and lead this round? 
And so it was going beyond the capital, right? It was saying, hey, yeah, we need capital infusion, but that may not be quite as important as the people and products and processes behind it that will help you grow. And because Coke has developed a number of those things over time, how do we leverage those on behalf of new entrepreneurs? And so that's kind of how we think holistically about investing in companies is highly disruptive, right? Large potential platform. You know, there's got to be mutual benefit. And the last thing is just principled entrepreneurs. And so we want to work with people that have um, shared vision and values with within their team and with ours, but complementary capabilities. Like what do they do well that we can't do? And what do we do well that they can't do so that we can complement? I often think of me and my wife, right? She's all the things I'm not, right? She's smart and good looking and all the, I'm the opposite. So we, you know, we, we complement each other. And um, I think it's the same thing in an in investing relationship is how do you look for those things that you're not? And in, in, in more serious and a more serious note of that is if you are a great financial person, but not a great technical one, do you have a great technical person on the other side to complement your financial or business acumen? And so looking for those capabilities, I think is very important, not only in an early stage company, but even as you grow, you want people that aren't exactly like you. Jason brings up a lot of really great points, and there, there's two of them that I want to hone in with on with you. Disruptive versus the, the market alternative. To me, that's the electric vehicle, which is disruptive, versus the market alternative, uh, which is the internal combustion engine gas. We're seeing that now where it seems every new day there's a new electric vehicle company going public trying to dis- disrupt the market as Tesla continues to gain share. What are your whole thoughts on this whole movement and push around electric vehicles and what's eventually going to happen to the internal combustion engine cars that run on traditional gasoline as as we shift into this uh maybe new environment with uh environmentally conscious vehicles i think it's going to be really important for better training uh better understanding for uh those working in that industry to get them up to speed um you know we have a lot of really capable uh, people working in that field, that the workforce is a really talented workforce and you don't want to alienate them. You don't want to push them off to the side where they're combative or, or very actively opposed to this this change. You want to give them opportunities as well and let them think and discover, you know, as new technologies come in, new problems are created. So when you find that, you're going to have to find people and and look to other people to solve those challenges similar to as we you know we we're talking about before with with Gaddock there's there's a they they understood that as the world of of logistics was changing how are they going to oh hey there's a there's a new challenge here that we can solve and i think that's going to be really important is just making sure we're getting people the right education the right trainings to identify those problems that that may arise and those challenges that arise and and figure out the solutions to those pro- to those challenges. I'm going to unpack this because there's there's a lot there. I'm happy we, you talked about the education and the training. And one of our earlier episodes this year, we had Brian Selesky, the co-founder and CEO of Argo on, and he talked about workforce development and the need to have vocational schools and learn. Basically, he said it very bluntly: you need to learn how to use a hammer and a screwdriver. You want to come work for me? You, you have to have these these skills. We'll train you, but you have to have the willingness to learn. And when you look at that, so that's one aspect of it. And then you look at solving challenges. As society is clearly shifting towards electric vehicles, that the, the tide is going and there's no slowing it down, 
What's going to happen to the gas stations as consumers charge at home? They're getting four and five hundred miles of range. We had Eric Bach recently from Lucid Motors on talking about the incredible growth of the range. That's a whole new job set of dismantling and rebuilding a gas station. What are you going to do with that land? Somebody's going to have to either retrofit it or remove it. Is that for all the disruption that's happening in this? There is so many new job opportunities that are going to be created, and it's really going to come down to partnerships is that working with SAE with the, the foundation and getting individuals together to kind of workforce training to do it. And then on the other side, you're going to have to have partnerships in industry. Are you seeing any really interesting partnerships that are evolving that are looking towards that future as society shifts towards electrification and electric vehicles? You know, SAE has uh, has worked really, uh, really diligently on, on creating some some partnerships for uh, the electric vehicle space um, for some of our consortiums, some of our new standards that we're uh, we're putting into uh, into development. You know, I think that's going to be a really important piece of this is getting industry together to identify you know where the gaps are, how we can make you know solve those challenges you know I, I think we're doing a at SAE are doing a really interesting uh interesting work of getting everyone convened to make that a reality I'm happy you said convene because in the pre-pandemic world and the post-pandemic world WCX was a great event where, where individuals would come together and meet people in government industry uh which happens in Washington DC was a great one and relationships have been formed there uh, the two simple uh, folks were able to meet the Penske folks at an SAE event to start to build that whole big partnership. And today, SAE and I'm sorry, Two Simple and Penske are partnered on the Two Simple's AFN network, which is the Thomas Freight Network, which we had on an SAE live earlier this year, where Two Simple is developing the self-driving tech and Penske is developing the maintenance. So if the truck has an issue, Penske goes there and. Um, I want to dive in this Penske thing and uh, play you a clip. Uh, please play the uh, the Penske clip from Bill Combs, please. Penske has this historical d data on maintenance records and how trucks operate. So if you combine that historical data that you have with your award-winning telematics program and a self-driving stack from a public partner of yours, say Too Simple, for example, to me it seems in theory that with a partnership like that, those trucks could run 24-7. Is that is that kind of where we're eventually going to go with autonomous trucking when there is no driver in the cab, which will then lower the cost of goods? It's going to depend on the use case, but it is. I think that's just like 100% uptime and 100% utilization are the goals now, even though you'll never get there. You'll never get to that 100%. A truck's got to fuel at some point. You've got to do, you've got to touch it, change tires. You've got to do some stuff at some point. But if... You know the the eventual goal can can be that. Now it depends on the operation. So if you have if you think about that distribution center again, trucks loaded up, it's going out for his daily deliveries. It's going to stop to make those deliveries. So there are going to be pieces to it where the truck maybe isn't moving. But um, but when you take the human element away, it is a possibility. Now a truck's like I said, it's a tool. It's a tool for delivering things. So you're always going to load it. You're going to unload it, um, even if that's a even if that's a quick uh, trailer swap at some point. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's it's all about, um, like I said, it's about uptime and full utilization. And autonomy can get you there. It's going to create some interesting dynamics, I think, because 
Now, if you keep a truck five, six, seven years, depending on mileage driven in it, you're going to hit that mark much quicker. Um, and the idea of how quickly are you then replacing trucks? And at the same time, if a single truck can go 400,000 miles in a year instead of 150,000 miles in a year, you actually need less trucks at one given time. So maybe you're replacing them quicker, but you're, um, you're getting more per truck, say, from efficiency standpoints. That was a great line from Bill Combs when he said autonomy can get you there. Not only can autonomy get you there or get our children to school, but it can bring goods to your house. And a trend starting to evolve in this conversation from the Walmart and the Gaddock and uh, the Jason Dillian from Coke is that the lowering the cost of goods is going to have an incredible positive impact on, on every single individual around the world. Justin, from your purview, what are you seeing with all these different forms of autonomy as it relates from a consumer perspective? Is it just the Walmart thing where they're, they don't really, they just experience the lower cost or are they starting to really experience the technology and understanding the positive impact that it's going to have on their daily lives? You talk to someone about self-driving cars and vehicles and their first thought is, okay, we I, I want to drive my car, but they don't, they aren't really <laughs> looking at it from the next, you know, that next level beyond a personal driving experience. It's, um, you know, Hey, there's a, there's a lot more to this. Yeah. Um, you know, the, okay. Maybe at some point we'll get there where, you know, you hop into a, a, a cab that is no longer driven by a person. It's, it'll, it'll get you there. But I don't think a lot of people outside of our space here in our sphere are, are really looking at this as there's there's a lot of really interesting things that are happening and the downstream effect of this is 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 fascinating you know because we're able to have an autonomous truck that can go an extra you know tenfold or a hundredfold in in mileage and and doesn't have the downtime and things like that you're able to lower the cost of XYZ goods by 20% or 10% or whatever that might be. And, you know, that's, that's more money back in your pocket, you know, to the average consumer or, um, you know, there's, there's accidents are, are cut down by X percent, things like that, where it's, it's just these extra benefits and, and, and really, uh, you know, maybe your, your fruit is fresher now because there's not a stop in the middle, you know, we can get it faster or whatever that is. There's just a lot of extra downstream things that are, are, are have so many benefits for, for the average person. Not only are there so many benefits in what you just described, there is tremendous job opportunities in, yeah. in what you described. And one of the things that's not talked about enough is the packaging of food. And there's a, a lot of my restaurant friends say the ultimate test is if you have a, a French fries delivered and say like a Neurobot, which we had Dave Estrada on earlier in the year, and it gets to your house and you open up the container. Is the French fry still hot and crispy? Once we can solve that, we can start delivering food to, to all over uh, the place. Are you waiting for that hot, crispy French fries to show up at your door in an autonomous bot? I'm waiting for it to be delivered by anyone. So if, it, if an autonomous bot is the one that can make that happen, then um, I am I am a, I will sign on the dotted line for, for that technology. But... Um, yeah, you you mentioned the job the job creation and and it's so interesting. You look at that funnel or that you know uh, approach and it's okay. There's someone who has to create this technology. And again, if you look at it from the outside perspective, people might think, well, I don't have the skill set to to create this this new technology. 
okay, but there's someone that needs to learn how to, you know, do be the maintenance person for that. And okay, you may be doing something else in a similar field. And with the, again, back to the point of training and education to the right, with, with that right education, you can transfer that skill set. Or there's all these other, you know, tangential, um, you know, peripheral job creation opportunities with these new technologies that they'll just continue to create. So, uh, you know, you look at it and you say, okay, may, I may not be able to do this exact, create this exact technology. But if you look at the kind of that halo around there, there's a lot, there's a lot to happen. There is a lot to happen and you really see the light bulb go off when they experience the tech. And we saw some really interesting things when we did SAE demo days two years ago when the individuals would go for a ride in the vehicle and we learned a lot. And looking at the halo effect, you have some media outlets that love autonomy, think it's the greatest thing in the world. You have some media outlets that can't stand it. You deal with the media all day. Um, I'd love to get your perspective on that, but before we do, can we please roll a clip of our interview with Alan Ownsman from Forbes? When you look at other companies in the electric vehicle space, because the market's starting to get really hot for them, and you look at Rivian um, with RJ Scaring running it, just raising another $2.5 billion from Barron Capital and T. Rowe Price and Amazon again. What are your thoughts on that? Is the market just t chasing froth of EVs and Rivian could be the next Tesla? What do you think is driving that large, large investment? There, there is definitely some of that, but I think everyone wants to place bets on the future right now. I think... The great value of Tesla and, and Elon, um, you know, his great accomplishment is showing that electric vehicles can be desirable and a lot of fun and can work in the marketplace. And uh, a lot of the major OEMs have moved slowly to embrace that. Um, they've, you know, obviously put a lot of resources into battery development and powertrain but they're moving at a more measured pace. And so the startups that are coming in, and Rivian is certainly one of the most intriguing, represent this kind of you know, leapfrog moment um, going straight to a, you know, a pure uh, battery electric uh, pickup or SUV that seems to have a compelling design, that seems to be technologically sound, and uh, with lots of important partners. I mean, Rivian having... Amazon watching its back and working with Ford and Cox Automotive tells you that it's coming to market with um, a level of support that we haven't really seen before. And um, that can help it perhaps, you know, survive where smaller shoestring operations would fall by the wayside. And I think, you know, Rivian is, is certainly going to be one of the companies to watch. But, but there are a handful of others that seem to have found financing and support that are going to be incredibly interesting. If Rivian didn't have the relationship with Ford and didn't have the financial backing and flat out firepower of Amazon, would we be looking at them in a different way, even though you raise money from T. Rowe and BlackRock? Would it be because to me, the Ford strategic and the Amazon are just two strategic partners that a lot of the other EV, EV manufacturers do not have. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really unprecedented in the case of Rivian. Uh, I mean, by my calculation, I cannot find an example of another pure startup that's raised so much money so quickly. I mean, they're north of $5 billion now and they haven't built a thing or sold a thing. Uh, but having the backup, the support of an Amazon, which says, hey, we're gonna buy 100,000 battery powered delivery vans for you. Uh, and Ford looking for ways to integrate 
you know, Rivian technology into its product line that adds, I mean, these are guardrails basically to make sure that it stays on path. And that would certainly make investors feel a little more confident that, that things are going to work out. Alan hammers home the point of strategic partners and one has to ask themselves, what is Rivian without Amazon? And I'm going to phrase something to you based on exactly what you just said. Is Amazon the most disruptive company in mobility? They have a large investment with Rivian and has incredible the skateboard technology. The Zooks is a wholly owned subsidiary now. They have an investment in Chris uh, Ermson's Aurora. They have a top secret self-driving truck program that they're currently operating. They have Amazon Robotics and who knows what's going on and cool things they're building there. Is Amazon the most disruptive company in mobility? If it's not number one, it's got to be number one A. And I think in you know one, some of the previous conversations we've had, or you've had, I should say, uh, over this year, I think we, you know you mentioned looking at Amazon. You mentioned Google as well. So you have to look at look at those two. And and I think one of the points that you made, which was so interesting earlier this year, was when you have that kind of uh, capital. Uh, that you can kind of afford to make mistakes. You have the vision uh, that you're interested in being a part of this, but you have that capital that you can spread your money out a little bit and see what's going to work, what's going to take off. But you have to have that vision. And I think, you know, Amazon, along with, you know, the Googles of the world really do have that vision and interest in in this space. And that's what's, I think, just so fascinating is they're really interested in playing in not just one lane. They want to get in kind of across the board and make sure they have, you know, chips everywhere. They're not just, okay, we're going to focus on this one particular part of mobility. We're going to kind of see what we, how we can have our fingers on every bit of the pulse here. That's a great point because Amazon's a consumer brand. Google's a consumer brand. And what you referenced at CES and they had the, the Alexa home thing right there in that same little booth. Mm-hmm. Google didn't have the Waymo vehicle in their big booth. Consumers do not tend to associate Waymo with Google. They do with Rivian and Amazon because Amazon's putting them everywhere in all these these large events, which goes into a theory that we've discussed throughout many times on this podcast is the power of brands. And this year, we we're very fortunate enough to have Nicole West from Chipotle. And she talked about how Chipotle is innovating for the future, the growth of digital, and how Chipotle is a lifestyle brand. So I love to play that clip and and get your thoughts. Uh, Please roll the clip. There seems to be this trend of constantly innovating into the future. Could you talk about how you decided to create this ordering app before any other restaurant decided to? You know, in the very early days, I think um, it was more about experimentation, specifically experimenting with technology and and new ways to engage with our customers. We were the first restaurant to have an ordering app in the App Store. And we had a little bit of adoption too, which was uh, which was the cherry on top. This actually drove a little bit in terms of sales and, and incremental traffic. Now at the time, I think we had our, our sights set on maybe hitting 10% of company sales someday. Wouldn't that be incredible? We definitely would not have imagined a day when digital was 50% plus of our business. Wow. So digital is 50% of the Chipotle business? So in a Q2, digital accounted for almost 61%. I think it's 60.7% of company sales. Wow. That's, that's just truly... I don't even know what to say, but just I'm impressed. 
And so you're growing the you're growing the digital business, which is obviously is doing really, I would say, frankly, extremely, extremely well. And then now all of a sudden, I start reading these press releases and talking to friends of mine in the restaurant business. Chipotle decides to make another move, another lean into the future, where your CEO in 2008, Brian Nichols, stated that the drive-through concept is an interesting proposition. And then all suddenly comes the Chipotle. Is this going to lead to the next length of growth? Because in the COVID world, it just seems like Chipotle was just completely built for this new contactless society. Absolutely. Uh, Chipotle and our, our customers' adoption of Chipotle has been uh, really incredible. And the um, you're exactly right that, you know, during the pandemic and consumers sort of desire for more contactless experiences combined with our desire for increased convenience and access, like Chipotle meets all of these criteria. So we looked at the the interesting proposition of a drive-through and you know, at Chipotle, we like to do things a little bit differently. Um, we like to innovate when appropriate, disrupt when appropriate. And the traditional drive-through approach didn't feel like the right fit for us. Um, you know, our digital business was growing. Customers had uh, um, adopted that experience and were engaging with that. Our crew members were used to running orders out of our digital kitchen. So where we landed was to innovate on the drive-through experience and Chipotle was born. Chipotle was born because Chipotle innovated for the future. It's time that the traditional large OEMs innovate into the future. Right now, your car is sold either on a lease and you have to pay for the wear and tear. You have to pay for the gas and the insurance. The traditional auto could should follow Chipotle's lane eventually get to 50 plus percent of their sales to be subscriptions where the insurance is bundled, the wear and tear is bundled, the charging is bundled. What do you think is to me that there's a lot we can learn from the automotive industry from building a lifestyle brand in Chipotle, the focus on the consumer choice, the convenience and constantly innovating. When do you think the auto industry kind of looks to more of these traditional brands to say, this is resonating, this is working? I thought this conversation with Nicole uh, at Chipotle was just one of the most fascinating of the 30 plus we've we've recorded this past year. I thought this one was so interesting because when we first talked about, hey, we're going to have Chipotle on, my first thought was, I, I have no idea how this is going to work. But as the conversation evolved and it, <laughs> and it happened, you really looked at it and you said, wow, they looked way ahead. They looked at the trends and how consumers are behaving and they looked at how the population is changing. And, you know, it wasn't just, hey, we're going to sell you this burrito or this, you know, whatever you're you're buying there. It was, we're selling you this whole experience and we're going to make it so easy and so convenient. And you're going to want to talk about it. You're going to want to share about it. You're going to want to be a part of this. So you bring it in and and make you, you part of that group. And, and I think they understood what the, the changing demographics are they were they understood what the changing perception among you know the, their customers and potential customers and I think that's so important is that looking ahead and trying to figure out how are people evolving because we aren't ordering things or buying things the same way as we were even five years ago 10 years ago especially but as, as long as you kind of keep looking ahead okay so we're slowly starting to adopt more of X behavior you're thinking that's probably going to evolve into whatever that next thing is. And you're seeing brands like Chipotle 
seeing where that next thing is. And that's how I think a lot of these mobility companies, the the automotive manufacturers, that's really, I think, what's going to be so important for them is to keep on these trends and seeing what's next and what's beyond what's next to continue because you can't change these things overnight as much as people would like. But So you have to do that planning for the future. And, and I just love this conversation with Nicole. And, and I know the people in, in our office at SAE, that's one we got a lot of conversations about. And I think one of our coworkers actually said, the only thing missing from this conversation was I wasn't eating at Chipotle while, uh, while I was listening to it, which I thought was just a great review of the episode. That's awesome. And when the episode started, I asked Nicole, I said, okay, so can you have a burrito delivered right now so the door the door <laughs> will ring? She was like, but no, your address, we would have scheduled it. Yeah. Because it's just, they're, they're innovating and they're looking to the future. And in that episode, we talked about how they built like this little, I want to call it like a micro Chipotle uh, right at Wrigley so you can get a burrito and, and go into the game. Yeah. And they're eliminating all the friction. Going back to my French fry theory, they're keeping the food hot. And on the automotive side is that, this whole growth of, of paying the thousand dollar deposit and buying the car online having a dealership it's game changing because that's what the consumers want because you don't want to go through this whole haggle process and we're really kind of seeing the disruption start from the electric vehicle company say we're going to sell the sell these online we're going to completely reinvent the model and when you look at reinventing the models we were really fortunate this year we were able to have annette capon who is the ceo of velodyne come on do one of his first interviews after taking the company public, which to us was like, okay, we've come a long way. We're this little scrappy little podcast. And now we have a CEO of a publicly traded company uh, who just went public. I'd love to get your thoughts on our conversation. So uh, roll the tape, please. And you're right that the, the growth of LiDAR is exponential, especially as vehicles get more advanced and we eventually work our way from ADAS to you know levels four of autonomy. But now that you're, you're, you're CEO of a publicly traded company, has your management style changed at all since you have to um, just, you know, running, as you know, running a publicly traded company is a lot different than running a privately held company. Has that changed your management style at all? You know, I think I would say some things have evolved, but some things are still very much the way they were. As I said, you know, the heart of the company's innovation and uh, and product development and technology development to solve for problems of the future. And that hasn't changed. Our approach to doing that has not changed. The, you know, the demand that David always had for perfection in the product and really best-in-class performance and quality hasn't changed. So those things are really fundamental to the business. What, of course, we have also been able to is you know, put in place processes and people and, and methods that, that create the discipline that is needed to basically uh, to be a public company to say what you're going to do and then do it predictably. So I think there's been there's been an evolution that started, in fact, even before I took over, where we we had these thoughts about really preparing ourselves to be a public company, and we have been working for more than a year at this point, putting in place many of these processes, methodologies, and even people controls to really create that predictability. Um, around the commercial and the business side of things. So I would say, yeah, it's a mixed bag. Some things have evolved and gotten more disciplined. Um, and then, you know, it's really in our best interest to keep some of the core DNA intact and untouched. As someone who invests in the public markets, I'll say thank you because that's what you, you want to hear from a publicly traded CEO. You want to hear honesty and candor, but you also want to, to, to focus on delivering value for shareholders. So as a public markets investor, Thank you for that. And staying on the, the public market thing, you, you have your first earnings call coming up on November 5th. 
are you actively pre preparing for that as a kind of butterflies in your stomach as their excitement because what you just said you're clearly prepared to lead a publicly traded company and you're clearly prepared to grow a publicly traded company so i'd love to hear your thoughts on how you're preparing yeah you know obviously it's Velodyne's first earnings call so we are incredibly excited there's sort of a a, a thrill and excitement that's running through all parts of the business as we get ready for this. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think I feel very confident and comfortable that we have done so much work in putting these processes that I talked about in place, and we have taken such a disciplined approach to gathering the data and the information that's needed to be able to communicate to the public investment community that that piece of it is, uh, you know, almost muscle memory, and we are we are able to. Those, those processes are working, the data is coming together, and we're able to uh, get things together for that call. And the other thing is Velodyne has such an incredible story to tell that it's really, I also see it as another opportunity for you know, the investment community to get to know us. We are still a newly minted public company, and there's a lot of people in the investment community who don't know this incredible you know, quintessential Silicon Valley story. And I see the earnings call also as an opportunity to, again, retell this, uh, this story and for the investment community to, to understand the technology and the company a little bit better. And I've said a lot of really great things in there. I, I want to start with you on management style. Throughout your interactions throughout the year with you know, guests and different individuals in the industry, have you seen management styles change as these companies have matured and raised more capital? Listening to that clip, the one thing I, I've really struck me was the confidence that that he has and uh you know they know who they are and i to answer your question you know the the organizations that are confident in who they are they know who they are for them it doesn't matter who that audience is so for velodyne they're confident in their technology they're confident in who they are as a as an organization what they're capable of they've been talking about this stuff for years they're ready for this it's just a new audience. The uh, the investors and and you know new audiences that they're reaching. They know who they are. They know what they want to say. They are confident in that approach, and they know it's it has proven track record of success. And it's just a new audience for them. So I don't know if they've necess they're necessarily management styles are changing. I think it's just a way they're maybe shifting their messaging a little bit to better better reach a new audience. But you know I think ultimately. They're speaking their truth, and that, and they're confident in what that is. I love confidence, and I'm so proud that you brought up confidence because, to me, SAE is a very proud organization. It's an organization full of confidence. It's an organization full of, of wonderful individuals such as yourselves. And Annette also said, get to know us. What have you seen throughout the interactions of the year where we're through this podcast, we're meeting new individuals and new industries and new disciplines that might not have heard SAE. What have you seen or heard that's having a positive impact in the organization over the year? What we really wanted to do was find unique insights that were not available out everywhere else. You know, you wouldn't, you couldn't, uh, to, you know, search your podcast and and, and another podcast and, and find these guests, you know, as a roll call. These were different people, different voices, different perspectives. And I think that's what's what we've really been trying to do at SAE for our entire existence is bringing in 
individuals that are maybe on the fringe a little bit, giving them a, a stronger voice. It's not just one linear path to, to get to this end result. We are trying to get as many voices into the conversation as possible through our you know events, through our uh, publications, through our, our CDS and AWIM programs through with schools, and now with, with our podcast. You know, it's just we're trying to get these voices in, give them a platform where they can speak who they are, share what they're doing, and hopefully, you know, make an impact on, on someone's life after, you know, listening to their story over the, you know, the course of this, uh, each episode. Yeah, and we also want to focus on diversity. We're from different, like you said, the Chipotle and how the impact that that had in the organization. And we got a lot of really great feedback on social media about that, because that's fun as we, we look and we say, oh, we're going to get the fast food company, sorry, fast casual company here. We're going to get an autonomous trucking company. We're going to get a logistics company. And it's kind of like making alphabet soup, but it, mm-hmm. it's fun because when you we do these recaps and we go through all of our notes, all the dots connect, mm-hmm. which is which is really fun. And I'm looking forward to our next recap episode with you, engineers that make the world go round, because there's so many incredible, great stories there when you when you pull back the curtain. And as we look to the 2021 uh, SAE Tomorrow Today podcast series. What would you like the listeners to know? Any secret surprises as a co-founder of this that you want to kind of tease that we're going to do next year? They might say, wow, okay, this is really cool. I want them to understand from the, the impetus of, of creating this podcast, I want you to listen. Every, every week as you listen to an, a new episode, you know that this may be a completely different topic than the week before. I mean, you, you look at who we've had on. We've had Philadelphia Children's Hospital. Uh, we've had Chipotle. We've had PPG. We've had Argo. You've have this huge diverse base of of people that we've had on, and uh, you know organizations and individuals with in- great backgrounds. But I want people to know that you can expect that consistent quality, consistent level of you know interesting stories. We're not going to just put things out there, you know, to put things out there behind the scenes. We are, uh, this team here is is like uh, the analogy with a duck. Well, you look at it on the top of the water and it's nice and calm and wow, that's a really polished episode. Behind the scenes, you as much, if not more than anyone, the, the feet are churning under the water. There's there's <laughs> there's a lot of movement, a lot of things going on, but it, it's to make sure that we're getting the right guest. We're getting uh, you know the right questions out there and getting the right end product out there. And that's what we really, really want to continue to deliver and I, I'm confident that we will continue to deliver uh, moving forward, and it can t- only continue to go up. Yeah, and we've we've seen in- incredible growth, and I want to share a little story for our listeners about quality. The SAE Tomorrow Today podcast was launched in January 2020, pre-pandemic, and the whole goal was that we were going to go to an event a month and record 10 podcasts and release them very similar to a Netflix series because we're using really great high-end uh, Newman audio mics that Zeppelin and the Beatles and all sorts of great musicians have used. And so we really wanted to focus on audio quality. While well, the pandemic hits and we're all looking at each other like on a Zoom video, don't worry, people, we weren't together in a room. We were listening to protocol and we're like, holy cannolis, what are we going to do? And we came up as a group collectively with the theory of a podcast in a box. And so each guest that's on the podcast gets mailed as, as a podcast in a box using Newman studio quality mics to have a little mini recording studio in their house to focus on on quality. Um, and so we're looking forward to continuing that quality into 2021 and continuing the great diverse s- storytelling that we're doing because it's it's really interesting. And as neutral conveners, 
we've got a really great story to tell and justin as we look to wrap up this first wonderfully awesome coolness insightful recap what would you like the listeners to take away from them as we get ready to uh do recap episode two engineers make the world go around the one thing we we is so important about this episode and as we were going through our this the series of recap three recap episodes the one thing i i i was so excited about was the, the second i mean obviously all of them but the second one SAE is built on engineers and innovative thinkers. And that that's how we, you know, we're, we're a, an organization that supports engineers and they make up everything that we do. Our events and our programs are designed by engineers for engineers. So we are so indebted to the engineering community that I'm really excited to be able to talk about them and, and give them a little bit more praise that they deserve. So that's something I'm really excited about is just really talking about what these engineers are, are accomplishing in their daily lives. Engineers are cool. They are. I thank you so much. And as we heard, SAE is built on innovation and engineering. And I can't wait to host the next episode with you. So thank you, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE's Tomorrow Today podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate it, share your feedback, we love comments, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information on SAE and SAE podcasts, be sure to visit sae.org forward slash podcast and follow SAE on social media at SAEINTL on Twitter and Instagram and at SAE International on Facebook and LinkedIn. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.